there's anything that you are feeling, like maybe feeling a bit sluggish or tired or, you know, not really sure, or had a really, really awful week, let's just come together. Let's just raise our hands up. Let's raise us up to Jesus. And let's just declare that He is a good, good God. It's rising up from coast to coast, from north to south and east to west. The cry of hearts that love your name, which with one voice we will proclaim. Hallelujah, Lord. The former things have taken place. Can this be the new day of praise? The heavenly song that comes to birth and reaches
We just thank you that we can come to you, Lord, and we can just keep on saying the great and wonderful and amazing things that you can do. Father, we just want to come before you now, and we just want to declare your goodness. We want to say that you are mighty, you are holy, you are amazing, you are righteous, you are above all things. Lord, we thank you that you are a God, Lord, that knows um, more than we know. Your ways are higher than our ways, Lord, and we worship you, we praise you. We want to come, Lord, and uh, give you everything. We want to surrender every part of our lives to you, Lord, so that not that we would get the glory, so that you... King of kings and Lord of lords would get the glory. Father, we just worship you. We come and we adore you, Lord, and we lift up our voices to you as we continue to worship you now.
we're going to sing that together again. I will worship. We will worship the King of Kings.
over your life. Maybe sometimes you think, I don't even know if I know the goodness of God, but this is a promise that He is a good, good God. His mercies are new every morning and He will never, ever fail you, regardless of how you feel or even your circumstances. So we're going to declare this over our lives. If you're with another person, just maybe like reach your hand out over them and sing it or speak it in your mind. Amen. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. I've been held in your hands from the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God for all our lives. the goodness of God. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire and darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. I have lived in the goodness of God. All my life, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. 
the goodness of God. Because His goodness is running after each and every one of us. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. When my life lays down and surrender now, I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. All my life, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am made, I will sing of the goodness of God. Of the goodness of God. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that no matter what we're going through, we can continue to raise a hallelujah. Regardless of our circumstances or the storms that we may face, we know that you are there right in the midst and you are enabling us, equipping us, and you promised that we would never enter any situation without you equipping us. So just before Drew comes, we're going to sing this song. We're going to raise a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies, louder than the unbelief. Our weapon is our melody. Heaven comes to fight for me. Let's sing this together. I'll raise a hallelujah In the presence of my enemies I'll raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelief I'll raise, I'll raise a I'll raise a hallelujah Heaven comes to fight for me I'm gonna say In the middle of the In the middle of 
together again. We're going to raise a hallelujah. With everything inside of us, every single thing, we want to surrender to Jesus. I'll raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I'll raise a hallelujah. We will watch. I will watch the darkness flee. I'll raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I'll raise a hallelujah. Jesus, that you are alive. We thank you that you have overcome all things. And through you, we too are more than conquerors and overcomers. So Heavenly Father, just as we finish this time of worship, Lord, and we see your notices, Lord, we pray, Lord, before you comes, that you would anoint him, you would equip him, you would enable him, prepare our hearts to hear your word, Lord Jesus. 
and all the people in their homes, wherever they are, all said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen. Welcome back, everybody, um, after those notices. Um, we're going to um, be looking um, at something from the Bible this morning, which is what we normally do, just in case you're tuning in. Um, but if you've got a Bible in your house or wherever you are, go and get it, because um, it helps to you know, actually have it in front of you. Um, before I start, let's pray. Um, I'll give you a few minutes, shall I just... If, you, if you're running to find a Bible or something. Just give me a thumbs up when you're, when you're ready. Um, I wish I had to see you. That was a bit of a joke. Um, let's pray, um, and, uh, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that we can worship you this morning no matter where we are at and no matter what our lives are, are, are doing, um, Lord, or, or where we are. Um, in our journey with you, Lord. We can come before you and we can worship. Thank you for the time of worship we've just had. Um, we pray now, Lord, as we come to look at your word, um, the words of eternal life, um, Lord, that you would speak um, by your spirit and you would um, search our hearts and that you would um, open our minds, Lord, to see what you are doing and, and what you want us to to do um, in order to, to know you better and, and to follow you more closely. Um, we thank you, Father, for this time ahead. Um, pray that you would help me to speak well, um, not to get confused or muddle my words, um, and that um, you would help me to be clear, um, speaking what you want to say um, and not what I want to say. So we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So. <clears throat> We're going to um, read uh, a passage from the Gospel of Mark, um, Mark chapter 10. Um, so I'm just going to, um, we'll read it out, but before I do that, I'm just going to say what's happened coming up to this. So um, the disciples have just seen Jesus transfigured, an amazing sight. Um, the disciples have been bickering about who's going to be first and last in God's kingdom. And um, children have been coming to Jesus, and the disciples have been like, oh no, don't don't bother him with the children, but Jesus says, let the little children come to me. Um, because he's, yeah, anyway, we'll come, we'll come back to that in a second. Let's read then um, verse, Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Um, we're going to read to 31, so, um, yeah. <clears throat> As he was setting out on his journey, that is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. 
And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for the for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, There is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So this man poses the question on a lot of people's lips today, well back then and even today, how can I be saved or um, how, how can I be successful perhaps, you could rephrase it, how can I be the best even? Um, We're all looking for salvation as humans because we, deep down, know that we are not good. Our conscience condemns us and we know that we need saving of some kind. Like, people look to different things for that. Um, Instead, it's got euphemisms such as be your best self and live your best life and all that kind of stuff. Um, And salvation is often, in a worldly sense, rooted in what you do for yourself and feel about yourself. If you feel good about yourself and if you do good things, then... You're doing all right. Everyone chases these dreams, pushed by adverts and social media, by celebs who are apparently living their best life. And if we can only achieve this, then we will truly feel good about ourselves. And success is salvation, and goodness is God. To achieve success, some look to self-help books um, and such things, but I don't know if you've ever tried to lift yourself out of a hole. Um, It's not easy or even off the ground. Like, if I try and lift myself... I can't do it. You see my socks now. But I can't do it. No one can lift themselves off the ground by themselves. And some look into maybe not lifting themselves out of a hole, but trying to lift society out of a hole to do their part and and help, you know, other people. Um, Some look to religion, like this young man, rich young man did to make themselves better. And some look for a spiritual experience, some nirvana or, or something. Yet, even in our very best efforts, the Bible tells us these are all filthy rags and that we are not good. And the Bible goes on to say in, in Romans about how our mouths are open graves and no one seeks after God and no one is good, basically. 
So, by the world standards, this man, this rich young man, is a success. He is rich. He's got loads of money. He is young. He has got the youth of life. Um, and he is in position of authority. He's a ruler, so he can command other people. He's, he's up there. He's like some um, celebrity startup guy. I don't know, maybe Elon Musk, perhaps. Um, and so he thinks, this young man thinks he has done good and is a good person by the world standards because he's kept all these commandments since he was a boy. He feels good about himself. Google once had a phrase in their code of conduct, which was, don't be evil. Um, they've changed that now to do the right thing. I don't know what the difference is there, but there you go. Um, and so this man would have probably fitted in with, with Google's, you know, outlook, you know, startup and technology and, you know, lots of people, rich and famous, etc. We can assume that he has had a good life, that he is wealthy and has no problems or hardships. You know, he's, he's a rich young man. Like, what problems could he possibly have? Yet this man, this rich young man, still asks of salvation, what more can he do to inherit eternal life. And he, like many of us, depend on our actions. You know, why not? After all, we are able to get out of bed every day. We don't rely on... some. Most of us don't rely on someone else. We are able to commute to work. We are able to work and do our bit and earn our wage. We are able to buy ourselves many salvations, perhaps like a, like a takeaway or the newest bit of tech or some nice clothes, um, a nice car... You know, why shouldn't we say with Nebuchadnezzar did in, as, uh, as Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel, is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and the glory of my majesty? Why, why don't we say that? Because we're all looking for something more. So why can't we just do one more thing to inherit eternal life? Jesus has always has the answer that there is no doing to inherit eternal life. Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. So the man, but the man thinks, oh, but Jesus, I'm, I'm good. I've kept, I've kept loads of commandments. So me and you, we're, we're pals. We're, we're peas in a pod, in a good pod. Um, yet he has broken the first commandment there because he said um, that he is, he doesn't, you know, he's, he's perfect and he doesn't um, come under the rule of God. So as we look through, um, if we look at verse 20 and 22, let's read that. Um, Jesus goes through, he's, he said all these commandments um, now, there's so much in this passage which I could have gone into, but um, John's going to put a link in the description below um, about uh, from a guy called Mike Winger who's done a, 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 a sermon on this, basically, online. And it's very good, and we'll put the link in the description because that's been very helpful for me while I've been preparing. Um, so, verse 20 to 22... <clears throat> And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure 
in heaven and come follow me. And disheartened by this saying, the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So even though this guy thinks he's as good as Jesus, Jesus still looks at him and says and, and loves him. The NASB, New American Standard Version um, Bible, yeah, um, says felt a love for him, um, which is quite unique. Apparently, it's one of the only times in Mark where Mark highlights that Jesus loves someone. Um, and so we can maybe say, "Oh, I know what Jesus is going to say next." If Jesus has looked at him and loved him, he's going to say, I love you. But he doesn't. Jesus doesn't need to affirm this man's self-esteem one bit. This man doesn't need to hear that God loves him. He thinks that they're best buddies. The man needs to hear how he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus knows how to do this, what he needs to do. And the thing that he is lacking, this rich young man is lacking, is full commitment and dependence on Jesus. Jesus knows that he depends on his riches, maybe even more than he depends on his goodness. And maybe in those times they would help him to be good because he wouldn't have so many problems that that many others might face. And so Jesus wants to remove this crutch that he's got of his riches. So the man is sorrowful, disheartened. He goes away. He cannot give up his great wealth and possessions. But this gospel is good news, yet for many it is hard to hear. Telling people God loves them is easy for them to hear, but by itself is of little to no use to them inheriting eternal life. We need to tell people what they need to depend on and commit fully to, i.e. Christ who loves them, and not themselves, not even on being good. So the man asked what he could do, and Jesus point blank told him, We also come to God, and we ask, what can we do? He's asked what he could do to inherit eternal life. And know that Jesus doesn't say at the end of verse 21, and you will have eternal life. At the end of verse 21, he says, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. So even this act of giving up his wealth is not a saving act. It doesn't save him but it paves the way to salvation, the cross. If he had followed Jesus, as Jesus tells him to, he would have followed him to the cross, and he would have seen salvation at the cross. So we do not become a Christian by giving up all our dependencies in the world, but it paves the way for us to come to Christ spiritually poor. Now, Jesus isn't saying here that we all need to sell our possessions. We're not, I'm not saying that you all need to sell everything you have and give to the poor. But if that's what God is telling you to do, you know, that's between you and God. But I think Jesus here is, is, um, is not saying that we all need to be poor or we all need to be a criminal with no morals or goodness or we all need to leave our families in order to be saved but our dependence needs to be on him alone. So we can have these things, but if we depend on them, then um, for our salvation, then we're, we're not following Christ. So, for example, in Philippians 3, if you turn to Philippians 3, um, we're just going to look at someone who thought he was very good. Um, he thought he was the best. 
Um, and it is the Apostle Paul, the, the man through whom we've got most of the New Testament. Um, so he, does, he reads a little CV out here um, in, in Philippians 3. I'm just going to grab some water. Um, So, let's go from verse 4, like halfway through verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, a Pharisee, as in perfect, pretty much, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I'm just going to carry on reading. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that, that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul, he thought he was good, but he knew that he needed to depend on Christ, the righteousness that comes through faith. In a similar way, I thought I was good. Um, I was brought up in a Christian household um, and went to church every week, went to little youth, you know, kids clubs, youth groups, all that kind of stuff. Um, And... There's a real danger of Christian, sorry, kids of Christians <laughs> growing up thinking that they are Christian because they go to church and because they do good and they're generally not as bad as a little Johnny in, in class who throws rubbers at the teacher's head or whatever. Um, <laughs> so it's, um, it's, uh, it's, it's important, I think, that we need to be clear with, with everyone, but maybe especially children in the church, that thinking that they're good enough and that they can like, just, just like, walk in to heaven because of all they've done and maybe because of their parents. Um, we need to be care- very careful that they don't believe the lie that they're good enough to enter heaven. We need to be very careful we don't think ourselves good enough just because we come to church and do Christian things. Don't think of ourselves as good enough that our goodness gets us into heaven. Nor do we want people to think that we are good. Like, yes, we are meant to be above reproach, etc. But we don't want people to think that we are relying on our goodness to enter heaven. We need people that we're perhaps witnessing to to realize that it's not about that and that we're relying on Jesus. So when Jesus says, give up, sell everything and give it to the poor, oh, I'm in the wrong place. There we go. Just thinking it didn't look right. Um, sell all you have and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Now what's the difference here between what Jesus says and what a prosperity preacher might say? I'll give you a couple of minutes, well, a minute just to think on that. A prosperity preacher will want your money and not the person. Jesus doesn't want the money here He doesn't say, sell all you have and give it to me. He says, sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Jesus wants the man 
not the money. He doesn't even want the goodness that the man has. He just wants the man. Jesus wants our total commitment and dependence. Only two chapters ago in, in Mark, um, in chapter 8, verse 34, he's saying, um, he calls the crowd and the disciples to him, and he says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his, sorry, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, like this rich young man, and forfeit his soul? So Jesus then goes on, um, in verses 23, to th- we're going to look at, um, yes, Jesus then goes on um, to say that only salvation is only possible with God. So he gives the disciples the answer here. Again, he's basically repeating what he said before, but he's just emphasizing using this rich young man as an illustration, really. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The rich in their wealth, they have protection. They have big houses, maybe with gates. They have nice, nice cars, etc. They have provision. They have lots of money. They can buy whatever they want whenever they need it. And they turn to their riches in the same way as they should turn to God. And the rich, who depend on their riches, need to ask God with Job, um, with Job in Job 31. I have made gold my, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence, if I have rejoiced because of my, because my wealth was abundance or because my hand had found much. If I have done those things, then, um, you know, we need to know that we can depend on God. And the uh, sorry. So even if we are poor, so maybe if you're not rich, maybe if you're poor by the world standards, um, you can still have all of your trust and dependency on the little you may have, just as the same as the rich young man will have trust in the much that he has. <clears throat> so even the poor and the rich can turn away from Christ, disheartened and sorrowful, to chase again all that the world has to offer that will never save us. So how difficult it is. And the disciples were amazed at his words. The disciples, um, you know, surely the rich have it easy. Surely they can do loads more good stuff with rich money, like with, with riches. They can give away 20 times as much to the poor as we can. They don't have to worry about working, you know, all these things. Um, and if one is rich, then the opportunity for doing good to others is much greater than if, as one is more comfortable and therefore through goodness can be saved, i.e. Your, your, your money can pay the way for you to earn, do good things to earn your salvation. And in that context, you can understand why the disciples might be thinking, well, what? <laughs> and so Jesus labors the point with hyperbole. Um, camel coming through an eye of a needle. What a famous um, passage. Um, and the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I've always thought this passage 
referenced some gate somewhere that was very small that a camel could fit through if it was unloaded and pushed through. But unfortunately, there's no such evidence for that, apparently. Um, so maybe it's just a, a crazy picture that Jesus is using just to drive home the point. But while I was reading a commentary on this, I, I read something which um, um, made my heart sing. Um, it was that the word for camel could be translated as cable, or a rope cable as well. Okay, Amazing languages. Uh, I think it was the Greek, the Aramaic, or, or vice versa. The words are very similar. Anyway... We've got camel, everyone knows camel, but I want to just emphasize cable because I think it's quite a helpful illustration. Now, this is, this is a cable. I'm going to come closer. This is a cable, which probably ought to be autofocus on me. Sorry if I'm too close. Um, it is a, a Cat5e solid four pair, um, yeah, you, you, um, unshielded twisted pair cable. There you go. Bit of knowledge for you. Um, and so what this is, is a network cable. And if you're watching this, it's unlikely that it's not hitting one of these at some point in um, getting to your house or wherever you are. Like, even if you're on a mobile phone, it'll still be coming through one of these somewhere down the line. So <clears throat> what this cable is made up of is several smaller wires inside. Now, I don't... Let me see if I can... If I do that, perhaps it'll focus on that. And you can see there, there's actually eight different wires inside this cable. Um, So a cable is made up of wires. So if I just untwist these wires, you can see that this cable which you think is just one thing, is actually made up of many different things. So, I'm not a network engineer. So, um, I do work with network cables, but I'm not a network engineer. Um, And this is a very small cable, by the way. This is, like, really simple. Like, a HDMI cable has, like, 18, 19 wires inside it. Um... And if you see, if you've ever looked at submarine cables, which I know Adam Robinson will have, um, that um, you will see that they are made, made up of one central core and lots of little protective cables and wires that wrap around it to keep it safe, um, which is very cool. I geeked out earlier on this week with looking at submarine cables around the world. It's fascinating. Anyway, there you go. So that is this one cable separated out into many different wires. Now, why have I waffled on about wires for probably longer than I should have? So basically, Jesus, perhaps, is referring to a cable or a rope, which would have been made up of many strands in, in those days. And... Maybe you're this brown wire, for example, and you've got all these other things wrapped around you, right, that you want to try and get into heaven with, your works, perhaps, or your money, or um, something else. I'll try and think 
well, how else do you think you could get into heaven? But there you go. Um, you can't really fit that through a needle. Unfortunately, I haven't got a needle with me. forgot to bring one. But you could probably fit one of these through a needle. So maybe Jesus is saying through this illustration, or maybe I'm saying through this illustration, um, that we need to unravel ourselves from all the things of life that we've got wrapped around us. And we need to come to God just as our single wire that can just um, go through that eye of the needle to enter God. Sorry, to enter the kingdom of God. And even as Christians, we get um, bogged down. Like, we might think, oh, we need to get in um, plus what we do. There we go. That's not going to get you in. Maybe we need to get in and maybe we need to get in and then we need to give God loads of money. You know, all these things. You know, you can, you can, com- you can um, complicate Christianity quite easily, as many people have done. And Jesus is saying here that it's not about complicated things. It's about a single wire. Our complete and total dependence on Christ. So the disciples are like, well, that's crazy, Jesus. Who then can be saved? And it is really hard for us to unravel ourselves from all of life. But God wants to save us through our total dependence on him. Now, there is a cost to following Jesus, and the disciples are astonished at his saying. And Jesus makes it very plain to them um, that there will be a cost. And the disciples, Peter begins to say, we have left everything and followed you. Um, it should probably say, and Jesus cut him off and said, <laughs> truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. So the disciples thought they had left everything. We've made sacrifice to Jesus. Surely we deserve it. And even Peter reminded, needed reminding that it's not what you do or have done. It's about depending on Christ and what he has done. So you may lose some of these things that Jesus mentions. Like, you may lose a house, or a brother, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for, for Jesus' sake. But then you actually gain a whole lot of things. Because when you lose one of those things, perhaps, for the cost of following Jesus, you then receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, just a little caveat there for the health, wealth, prosperity people, and in the age to come, eternal life. So we gain all of these things. Now there's seven things that we lose, and there's six that we gain. And what I want to say is that um, we gain... When we enter the kingdom of God, we gain a family, a worldwide family of many houses, of many brothers and sisters, and 
mothers and children and lands with persecutions. Notice one thing that Jesus doesn't say in that, pas- in that what you receive. Um, he doesn't say father, which I think is important. He's trying to tell us that the church, whose father and head is God and Jesus, um, is our father. God is our father. And the church becomes our houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. So, your work, your good works will not get you into heaven. Your skills or intelligence won't get you in. Your wealth doesn't get you in. Your house doesn't get you in, nor your land, nor your family, nor your friends. To enter the kingdom of God, we must be content to forsake all the things of the world for the sake of Christ and the gospel. Jesus is calling for a total and complete dependence on him alone. We can have other things in our lives, but we must not count them as a means to salvation or an accessory to salvation. We must be willing to let God unravel the cable of our lives and to forsake all these things for the ultimate worth of Jesus and the gospel. So we can forgo the empty promises of temporary lusts and desires through discipline, but the things and people we are taught from an early age to treasure, these are hard to give up. And if our families perhaps do not agree with with what Jesus is, is saying to us, then that is hard. And those things cannot be overcome unless there is total dependence on Christ. The cost is great, but the reward is so much greater. Yeah, it does come with persecution. Um, We have been warned. So Jesus sums up this passage with um, verse 31, which we like. Um, It's it's a good saying in, in these days. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Sounds pretty, pretty good, doesn't it? Sounds pretty good. And so the rich young man looks as though he is first because he has got good goodness. He has got a lot of wealth. He is a ruler, so he's got lots of people under him. And the children that Jesus was referring to from the passage just before, let the little children come to me, um, look to be in last place because they bring absolutely nothing. But actually... The children are first, and the rich man is last, because the children have nothing to bring, and those who have worked for salvation will not enter until they give up their own efforts and come to Jesus like a child, empty-handed. So what has God been prompting you to consider while you have been watching? Is there something or things that you have been relying on to earn your salvation or to accompany salvation? What is God asking you to strip away from your network cable of life? Maybe it's not just seven things. Maybe there's more. Maybe you're a HDMI cable. Um, But what is God asking you to strip away? So maybe just to recap, Good deeds do not equal salvation. Jesus doesn't want our stuff, our goodness, our skills, or our talents. He just wants us. Like, each and every one of you, Jesus wants you. But he doesn't want what you can bring. He just wants you. The sacrifice, sorry, for you will not delight in sacrifice, i.e. lots of 
things, or I would not give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering, but the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. If we come to God broken and contrite, sincerely, then that is what God desires. And if we come to God and the cost is great, we need to remember that the reward is greater. If we haven't got house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands, then we get, then we should, if we come into the kingdom of God by total dependence on Christ, we gain not only eternal life, but houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Let's pray, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and uh, we'll close with a final song. Heavenly Father, I thank you that it is not dependent on us on doing things to earn salvation, Lord. You just ask us to lay aside everything, and you want us to come to you um, by ourselves. Lord, you just want us as we are. Um, So, Lord, I ask that you would um, confirm in people's hearts what you are saying, um, that it would take root, and that you would draw them ever closer to you, that they can rely totally on you um, for their salvation, and that we can rely totally on you for our salvation. Help us, Father, not to get it confused and um, congested with lots of other stuff. Lord, help us to remember we need to depend completely and totally upon you for salvation. Amen. Amen, amen.
song just to respond to that that Drew was talking about. That we surrender our everything, that that is what God is asking us. If there are things in your life that you know you need to lay down before him as a living sacrifice, then use this song if you don't have your own words. Or just use this time right now just to come and respond to that that the Lord is putting on your heart. Hungry I come to you. 